1: Welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Catchy music there at the beginning. Love that music. Also love the five-star rating, if you don't mind me mentioning, that this podcast has week after week. So don't get me to a 4.9 or there will be trouble. I don't mean I'm coming after you or anything like that, uh, but I'll just have to deal with it internally, which will not be a good situation. By the way, I don't really feel... That I have a podcast voice. I mean, you know, it's, you know, whatever. It's fine. It's a little New York. It's a little, you know, I grew up Jewish, so it's a little Jewish. It's fine. It's, It's a generic podcast voice. We don't have generic material on the podcast, but the voice is just not kind of NPR. So I kind of feel like, welcome to the Pod's Honest Truth with David. You know, something like, I feel like I need to be a little bit more mellow in my voice. I don't have it. I apologize. And if you, if you mark me down on the rating, that's fine. Hey, today on the podcast, churches and the coronavirus. We're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to get into tithes and offerings and what do you do when the churches are closed, but churches need to operate still. Uh, they've got a budget. They're a nonprofit. Uh, and so we'll get into that. Also, one of my favorites on the podcast today, Mike Huckabee. I've got to tell you, he's one of the funniest guys you're ever going to meet. And yet at the same time, He's one of the most knowledgeable. It's a great combination. You know, he kind of reminds me of my dad. Uh, my father was always quick with a corny pun. He wouldn't say it's corny. He'd just call it a pun. But let's be honest. They, they were a bit corny. I have now uh, morphed into my father, if you will. And, and Mike Huckabee does these corny puns all the time. And I love him even more for it. You know you know what I mean with the corny puns? Like, you know, what happened to the guy who sued over his missing luggage? He lost his case. <laughs> and, you know, what did one blade of grass say to the other about the lack of rain. I guess we're just gonna to have to make do. And you know, you go, <laughs> hilarious. And then you roll your eyes, but it's a rolling of the eyes of endearment. Anyhow, Mike Huckabee today on the podcast, he's got the whole family down with him in Florida. We'll talk to him about a biblical and economic response to the coronavirus. Also tough words, Democrats playing politics with the stimulus bill, Mike Huckabee will weigh in on that. Uh, also, how Trump is doing through this crisis, what the what Mike Huckabee has seen specifically, I think that'll be some interesting uh, food for thought for you. I love food, by the way, but that's a separate note. I don't want to go back on a tangent or go on to a tangent on that. Also, he talks about uh, giving to churches during the crisis. Does the 10% rule, if you will, I don't want to call it a rule, but you know what I mean, does the 10% rule apply so we will get into all of that. Uh, but first, though, I want to talk to you about this exclusive that I broke over the weekend. I have some exclusive audio in my pers- my possession. Uh, we have President Trump, Vice President Pence, Secretary Ben Carson, all speaking to 500 pastors on a coronavirus conference call. I'll say that five times fast. Uh, this was recently, this was just a few days ago. And President Trump is on the call specific- specifically asking them to pray for stamina and for the health of our country. Now, this call was sent out to about 15,000 pastors or so nationwide. We have the call. It's about an hour long. We're not going to play it all. Don't worry. I know. Uh, but we're going to play a couple of clips from it. Uh, and also on this call, there was a discussion among the pastors about ways churches can assemble, in, in essence, in creative ways during this time. For example, drive-in worship services. We'll get into all of that. Meanwhile, by the way, Mike Pence... Uh, was on this call. He really did the bulk of the talking. He commended pastors for the vital work that churches are doing throughout this ordeal. Uh, he talked about how they're putting uh, hands and feet uh, on their faith. And then, of course, Secretary Ben Carson also encouraged the group. And he talked about how God still has His hand on this nation. The family org- uh, family organizing. <laughs> Let me start again. The Family Research Council organized the one-hour call. Uh, their president, Tony Perkins, led the call. It was filled, as as I said earlier, with prayers for, for Trump and Pence and Carson. So I want you to listen to some of this. This first clip I have here is Tony Perkins praying for President Trump. It actually starts with the president uh, asking for prayer. And, and Tony Perkins says, how can we pray for you? And this is what he said.
2: Can yes. I pray for you? Yes, you can. Good. Thank you. What 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 would you like these pastors to be praying most for you at this time?
0: Well, I think the uh, health of our country, the strength of our country. We were doing something amazing, and then one day it it, it just ended. So that would be it. And the fact that we make the right choice on November third is very important. Tony, you understand that better than most.
2: Well, let me pray for you. I do. Let me pray. Thank for you. you, Father. Tony. We thank you for our president. We thank you for our vice president. We think of all the leaders that you've assembled in this administration, and as we're instructed in scripture to pray for those in authority, Lord, we do so with great eagerness and joy, given the leadership that you've given us and the, the focus that they've had on the issues that I believe are most essential to the health and welfare of a nation, the spiritual foundations of a nation. And I pray for the president, give him great wisdom, stamina in this crisis, We do pray for the American people. We pray for their health and well-being. We pray for the economy. But, Lord, we pray most of all as a nation we would turn back to you, and we pray for our leadership, that, Lord, they would lead us in that direction. And we pray great peace upon President Donald Trump, and we do thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mr. President.
0: I really appreciate it. You know, you mentioned the word stamina. We do need stamina in this world, I'll tell you. We need plenty of stamina. Everyone on this call, we need stamina, among a lot of other things. So thank you very much, Tony, and you take care of yourselves.
1: You know, I should mention that President Trump obviously on the call, but he actually wasn't expected to be on the call. That was an impromptu situation, shockingly, that the president did something impromptu. It was really supposed to be Vice President Pence um, and Secretary Carson, and then Donald Trump got wind of the— the fact that they were going to be talking to pastors and he wanted to say something to the pastors as well. So pretty, pretty neat moment there. But really it was Pence who led most of the discussion and he encouraged churches to comply uh, with federal guidelines during this critical 15-day period, which, by the way, is coming to an end very soon. He also uh, talked to pastors about how he was so inspired by so many of these churches abiding by these guidelines and he asked the pastor specifically to send the administration's uh, two-page advice sheet that they're sending out. He wanted them to send it out to every member of their church. And he asked them specifically to say, look, this is from the vice president. Uh, and so that was his plea there. He, he talked about how the churches have really been stepping up to run these food banks, making a huge difference. And I love this quote from the, pres- or, excuse me, from the vice president. He says, you are showing the greatness of America's character. And of course, part of that is that he appreciated the fact that many churches are suspending those church services out of, and I love this word or this line, an abundance of caution. How many times have we heard that? Which is a good thing nowadays, obviously. He also, and this is where I want to get into this on the podcast, he appreciated the financial sacrifice involved, uh, considering that, look, these churches and nonprofits run operations based based on tithes and offerings and Pence told the pastors that he would do his part to try and encourage Americans to continue giving uh, despite not being at service on Sunday morning. Now, look, I know a lot of people give online, but not everyone. So I want to play this portion of the audio. This is Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council asking him about that concern from pastors. And here's his response.
2: I know this is a conversation I've had with members of the White House, and I know this is near and dear to you and the president, is the, the well-being of the pastors who are on this line. and Yes. The the fact that they can't meet, you're very cognizant of the fact that as these churches can't meet, that often means that the contributions that come into those churches that enable them to do the work. So the these directions of not meeting are not taken lightly, and you certainly understand the impact of that, and, and I know you're not – I know you're involved in the details of the the bills that are being crafted right now in the Senate, and nonprofit organizations are being considered in that or being a part of that. So, you're, I, I just want them to hear it from your own lips that you are, uh, you and the president, are very concerned about the economic impact this is having on churches because of their partnership and the key role they play in the community.
0: Well, we most certainly are, and I, I do recognize that. Um, um, uh, when you miss a service, uh, there is a there is a portion of that revenue that uh, just by virtue of people's habits and practices doesn't come back. I've, I've heard that uh, uh, in the past at churches that I've attended. And, and I want to assure you that as we look at a recovery package, which we hope Congress is voting on by early next week, our team is on Capitol Hill today. Again, I want to, I really want to uh, commend the Republican and Democrat leadership in the House and Senate for the first two bills that came together. Um, we're working very earnestly on that. But, Tony, um, and uh, it, it, no, to no less owing to your engagement on this and many other uh, nonprofit uh, and, uh, uh, and and religious leaders around the country, we are working to ensure uh, that nonprofits are properly considered In the recovery package we recognize the impact is there but i will also say to you that as we go through uh regular press briefings and i I know that uh we'll be doing those over the course of this weekend uh, i'm going to have my staff uh, remind me to mention to people that um, it is a good time to remember uh, our churches and other communities of faith uh, that are out there meeting people's needs, and if you aren't attending personally, w- we'll help echo that, Tony, uh, uh, from uh, uh, from our briefings as well. Even while we we're going to take some time this weekend to celebrate what communities of faith are doing, but um, uh, if you don't mind, we'll we'll make a gentle a gentle reminder and encouragement to Americans to uh, continue to support those ministries, even if they're not in the in the pews on Sunday morning because uh, of the the great, great work uh, uh, that, uh, that our churches are doing every single day and will continue to do in the weeks and months ahead in the coronavirus, okay?
1: Mike Pence, by the way, putting actions behind his words because literally that conference call happened on a Friday. The next day on Saturday, he steps to the podium at the daily Coronavirus Task Force press conference And did just that. He encouraged Americans to uh, look at giving to nonprofits, to houses of worship. So uh, clearly, uh, Mike Pence putting uh, his money, if you will, where his mouth is. And that was uh, pretty uh, impressive. Uh, All right. Coming up, former governor, former presidential candidate, and yes, former pastor, Mike Huckabee. But look, if you're a former pastor in a way, aren't you kind of always a pastor? Mike Huckabee on the Pod's Honest Truth next. And welcome back to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our conversation with Mike Huckabee. That's right, the former governor, former presidential candidate, And former pastor talking with me from his home in Florida. I got to tell you, he's one of my favorites. I definitely going to put him in the top five. Not that I rank them at all. He may be even in the top three, potentially even in the number one slot. Yeah, you know what? He may just be in the number one slot. Love this guy. Why? Because he's honest. He tells it like it is. He's got some humor. We talked about that at the top of the. Uh, the broadcast, uh, the podcast. I call it the broadcast. Sorry, sorry. I went 1975. Excuse me for being Walter Cronkite, but now I'm a podcast guy, whatever. Uh, but we're going to talk to him about a lot of different things, including Democrats and the stimulus bill, churches and the coronavirus, uh, some biblical advice on the coronavirus, and then maybe even get into Hallmark movies. Yes, Hallmark movies. Here's my Huckabee. Governor Mike Huckabee, thanks for
3: joining me here on the Pod's Honest Truth. I'm moving up in the world. I have a podcast now.
4: Man, you know, uh, there's always another way to make a living. When you just think you figured it out, then comes the podcast.
3: <laughs> that's right. Let's talk about, obviously, the coronavirus. I mean, that's pretty much what's dominating every single story out there. Uh, can you tell me about how you are doing, uh, Janet? Uh, I don't know if you have some grandkids down there. How, how are folks
4: down in Florida there? everybody is fine. Uh, in fact, all of our family is here, uh, except our oldest son, but, uh, Sarah and her family, my uh, middle son and his family are all here. So we have six grandkids. Uh, and the reason their schools all closed in little rock and it was 40 degrees and raining there. And it was 75 to 80 with beautiful skies here. So guess what they did? They loaded up and came here. They've been here now under their second week, but it's been wonderful. Uh, The virus didn't, and, you know, the shutdown is certainly not wonderful. The fact that all of the events that I had scheduled that are income-producing for me have all canceled, that's not wonderful. But the time with family has been uh, really something special. And I think the kids are going to remember this when they're my age, you know, 50, 60 years from now. They're going to say, I remember that time, you know, when we all were uh, huddled together. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything, but we played together in the sand, and we played in you know the yard, and we rode bikes, but you know we couldn't ride with other kids. Um, but they, they've had a great time being together as cousins, and they're all fairly close to the same age, so that makes it really pretty special.
3: You, you know, I wonder, as it talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes, about a season, a time, and a season for everything. I guess it even says in there, if I'm not mistaken, you're the pastor, I'm not, but uh, something along the lines of, the time for shaking hands and not for shaking hands, or at least time for staying. <laughs> well, not to take it literally, but I guess my question simply is uh, where God is in the midst of all of this. So what has some of your counsel been to, to some of, not just your, your family, but, but folks out there who want to understand God in the midst of something like this? And, and maybe it's a, an opportunity for God to to show his wonderful majesty through some of these horrible, horrible times we're going through right now.
4: One of the things I always try to remind myself is that uh, life is not about uh, our own personal economics. And, and I really do feel the anxiety of some people thinking the economy is crashing and it's terrible. And yes, it is. Um, but there's something bigger. And that's that we have each other. We have families. We make do. I think as a as a country and as a world, we're very spoiled. There was a time in our country where people lived off their land, they knew how to hunt, they knew how to fish, they knew how to gather. Now people just know how to go to the store. And there's something to be said for uh, the self-sufficiency of a lot of rural America that will be okay through this. But a lot of urban America will suffer the most because their their resources are totally tied uh, to what others are doing. From a spiritual standpoint, I'm just reminded that no matter how big we think we've become, how powerful we think we are, uh, something can bring us to our knees virtually overnight. And I think there are people crying out to God who haven't even thought about God in a long time. And quite frankly, there are probably people mad at God who don't even believe in him, which I always find interesting. People that say, I don't even believe in God, but I'm really mad at him right now. Well, (laughs) you've got to make up your mind. Uh, Ultimately, my hope, my faith, my my anxieties are are not tied to this world. And if the worst thing that could possibly happen did in fact happen to me and that I contracted either this virus or some other disease and passed away, uh, I think for me the good news is I've made arrangements and there's another life that still awaits in the, uh, the one beyond this one. And if I didn't believe that, what difference would it make? If if there isn't an afterlife, if this is yeah. all there is, and when we die we just turn back into dust and we become worm food, then there really is no value in us living our lives with a sense of responsibility and character and decency and compassion and concern for other people.
3: And it increases anxiety if no one's if there's nobody holding the reins as well.
4: Absolutely, and yeah. uh, you know I do hope that people will use the time. Um, to look into the eyes of their families a little more, be grateful, uh, but don't waste the opportunity. You know, I know a lot of families, are struggling. Their kids are out of school. the schools have all been closed. Uh, a lot of people have realized that, you know, there's a way to learn when you're at home. Um, I know our grandkids, their lessons have been video uh, taped and, and sent to them online. So every day the kids, uh, you know, we have an opening ceremony. We do the Pledge of Allegiance. We have a prayer. We do a Bible reading. And then uh, they do their lessons. So it's not like they're just taking off and not being educated, but they're being educated in new and creative ways, which may, in fact, become new models for the future.
3: Governor, as it relates to pastors and the church uh, nationwide here, I, I know there's uh, there's been some concerns expressed from these pastors about— Obviously, tithes and offerings that normally would come in when people go to church physically into a building. And I know people can give online, but there is a concern that some of that will potentially dry up, and not for their well being, but for the church's well being. In other words, a lot of the important tasks that churches do, from food pantries, et cetera. So I'm wondering what you say uh, to, to that issue as it relates to uh, people out there that obviously aren't going to be giving tithes and offerings as much because they're not going to church. All that much now?
4: Well, I think so many churches, I know ours uh, receives most of its offerings uh, by way of online um, because people know that they can give with their app on their iPhone or they can give online through their laptop. And most people do that anyway. You know, the actual collections and the plate on Sunday probably represent a very small portion of the income to our church because most people are kind of more geared up to a, I just call it a more modern way of, of giving sometimes even as a draft. One of the challenges that a lot of people face is their income plummets, uh, their tithes will also plummet. And I think it's a time when everyone who can should certainly say, if my income goes down, my obligations don't. I may not have you know, 10% of less, will certainly be less, but I'm still going to be faithful in my tithing and my giving of offerings. I think that's important for us as believers, because One of the reasons that we do tithe is to express that we have confidence that we can trust God with a dime out of each dollar, and God will bless the 90 cents that's left. And then we give our offerings out of that 90 percent because we anticipate that we cannot outgive God. And we also know that there are people, no matter how desperate our situation may seem, there are people who are even more desperate. Uh, This is a time when our giving should uh, reflect genuine compassion. And we ought to go out of our way to help people. I'll give you an idea. We had some uh, groceries that were delivered to our house because it was just safer to have it delivered than it was. The tip that we gave to the person who brought them was, uh, let me just say, it was ridiculously generous. And the girl started crying when we Mm -hmm. gave her the money. And she just said, I would hug you, but I know I can't but she said that you just don't know how much this means. And I thought, well, maybe I don't, but I know how much joy I'm getting out of being able to abound unto you with something that you obviously needed. It's little things like that that we all can do that I do think can make a difference. And whether it's um, to go to your favorite restaurant, buy a gift card, I've heard people say that. Maybe it's, it's just going and giving them you know, a hundred bucks and saying, I hope you guys stay in business, give this to your staff. Um, there are a lot of different ways that we can express it. But I think the joy that we get in giving exceeds the joy that someone gets in receiving.
3: Governor, I want to ask you real quick, and I, and this, I don't want to date ourselves because this will probably air after the Senate and House get together and Congress passes this Huge, two whatever it is, two trillion dollar stimulus bill. I'm assuming they'll eventually get there. But but you talked about game playing here. I mean, this just seems like what a disaster. And I'm wondering if you can address some of that as it relates to some of the stuff that Democrats have wanted to put in this bill. Everything from the minimum wage to some Green New Deal uh, trinkets, just everything under the sun. Uh, what, what was your sense of that?
4: It's shameful. I mean, here we are in the midst of a pandemic when millions of Americans are out of work and they're not sure they can pay their rent, feed their families. And the Democrat solution to that is let's exploit the tragedy. Let's exploit this incredible suffering for our own political ends. And I heard James Clyburn even make the comment, this is an opportunity for us to uh, restructure the country According to our vision, I'm thinking, no, sir, it is not an opportunity for that. This is an obligation to do your job and to try to restore America to some sense of stability. And then when things are back to a more genuine sense of normal, then you can go back and play your political games. Uh, But this is a time when the people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer should just put a sock in it and honestly sit down and say, we're going to focus solely on what helps us get through this coronavirus uh, crisis. We're not going to push some political agenda of abortion and forcing that to be funded or the Green New Deal at a time when a lot of our energy uh, is going to be challenged because the prices have plummeted. That may be good for the consumer at the gas pump, but if people can't afford uh, in the production end to even bring the oil out of the ground, then that very uh inexpensive cost is going to get real expensive in a hurry and then we will regret that we uh you know wanted to have a green new deal when the airline industry is is barely hanging by a thread which even if you don't fly a lot it is critical because things that come to your home a lot of it is shipped by air you want to see your grandkids and they fly to see you or you fly to see them What if all the flights cancel and the airlines go out of business and there's only one or two left? The prices are going to go up exponentially from what they are. These are things that I don't think the Democrats are thinking about. And I just hope voters remember that if you want these kind of people in charge, well, then vote for them in November. Give them the White House, the House and the Senate. But if you are appalled by the gamesmanship, by the blatant partisanship, Uh, by the attempt to do anything they can more to hurt the president than they are to help America and to help the people of the country, uh, if that matters, then don't let these guys win the elections in 2020. Let's punish them. Let's make them pay uh, for being so selfish at a time when most Americans are being called upon to be unselfish. So
3: you believe they're putting their political partisanship above the coronavirus uh, ultimate health of the American people here?
4: No doubt in my mind about it, David. Uh, The fact that they have included such things as uh, the Green New Deal and uh, guarantees for unions and, I mean, all of the pet projects, Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. this has nothing to do with coronavirus. Nothing whatsoever doesn't make one American healthier, does not restore the economy. This is political payoff to the people who faithfully vote for them. And I would think that even the seeming recipients of this large S from the Treasury would be appalled enough to say, this isn't the time or place for us to be padding our pockets with the government money. This is a time to be asking, what is necessary to get this country back on its feet? Uh, Let us have an economy that works for everybody. And then there'll be time for politics. There always is, and there always will be.
3: Yeah, hey, you know, I have to tell you uh, just a couple of last questions. Your Twitter feed—I will—I'm going to let you know this right now. It is my favorite of all Twitter feeds, and there's a lot of Twitter feeds out there, but boy, your Twitter well, you. is—I mean, I tell you what, it's like—I uh, can't even explain. It. It's like it's it's uh, like serious policy and vaudeville at the same time. I mean, it's it's, it's phenomenal. So uh, I, well, I appreciate you. it. Um, I, I do notice uh, on the serious note, uh, Cuomo from New York, the governor there, and he talked about we're not going to accept a premise that human life is disposable, and then that was a little bit too much for you. I, I noticed a tweet about, you agree, uh, but maybe when it comes to abortion, you should think the same thing, or at least for uh, newborn babies, and and of course, uh, babies in the womb. So can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, I was somewhat stunned when Governor Cuomo, who who I think has worked hard to manage this uh, as well yeah. as anyone could in a state uh, like New York, and he's had to basically go over and above the mayor of New York, who has totally, uh, seemingly been absent without leave on all of this. Um, but he made a comment this morning in his news conference that was stunning. I mean, it it's it, took me aback. He said that um, your he said, my mother is not expendable. Your mother is not expendable. And our brothers and sisters are not expendable. We're not going to accept a premise that human life is disposable. We're not going to put a dollar figure on human life. And I'm thinking, Governor Cuomo, you're the same one who signed a bill for late term abortion guarantee. I was thinking, I agree with you. Your mother isn't expendable. Neither are your brothers and sisters or anyone else's mother our brothers and sisters. And we shouldn't believe that life is disposable or expendable. That's been my argument all along, that there is no such thing as a disposable human being, an expendable human being. We all have intrinsic worth and value, and there is no dollar amount on the human life. So my comment was, Governor, uh, I agree with you. So how do you defend disposing of human life or making expendable human lives if they happen to be babies? And by the way, abortionists, they do put dollars on human life. They make lots of money by taking the lives of human beings. His own church, the Roman Catholic Church, is adamantly opposed to the taking of human lives in the womb. So I call upon him to uh, join his own church, join Common Sense, join his own comments and be a part of those those of us who respect all human life.
3: Governor, what do you make of how the media has handled uh, this coronavirus situation as it relates to Donald Trump? I mean, I understand that uh, they've been on him since uh, he glided down that escalator uh, years ago now. But where do you think they are exactly in terms of what they have done here in the TDS movement, the Trump derangement syndrome movement, as many have called it? Um, have you thought they've done a, a scale of 1 to 10? Where where are they exactly?
4: I would call them a minus 10. And, and I don't mean to be vicious <laughs> here, but, David, it's been shameful. For, for example, they say that if you call this Chinese uh, virus or Wuhan virus, that's racist. Um that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I don't yeah. remember them saying that MERS, which stood for Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, that that was a racial slur against people of the Middle East. But we still talk about the Spanish flu. People get the German measles. These are descriptions that have to do with where something originates. It has nothing to do with race, ethnicity, religion, uh, color, creed. It's nothing like that. The fact is, this virus originated in Wuhan, China, so it's appropriate to talk about where it started. It's not a slur, especially upon American Asians of any kind. But that's just one of many examples. When the the president was accused of saying that the whole thing was a hoax, which he never said, he never said that. And even no less than the New York Times and Washington Post acknowledged that he never said that. So when they're starting to correct their own colleagues in the media, you know it's pretty serious because they hate Trump. But they had to admit that's not what he said. He said that some of the hysteria about it, some of the things that were being reported were a hoax, not that the virus itself was a hoax. Um, If you listen to the news conferences, which sometimes last too long because the president is very gracious and giving them all kinds of time to ask, ask all kinds of questions, no matter how ridiculous, and he'll push back. And when he does, then they blow up and say, well, he's not concerned. He's not talking about the virus. Uh, He's going off on uh, the reporters. And I'm thinking, yes, because you sat in the room and you asked him a stupid question and he pushed back on you. Um, I really think the president has handled this very well in one way particular. He has recognized that when you manage a crisis, push the decisions as close to the people As possible through the governors and the mayors. Uh, That's where this should be handled. And this is a president who has said to the governors, tell me what you need. I'll work really hard to help you get it. But you need to make the decisions as to whether your schools close and your parks close and whether you shut down all your businesses, because nobody sitting in Washington can make that decision for every single community in America and know that it's the right one for that particular community.
3: Governor, I don't want to put the um, uh, the president on the psychological couch here, but you've known him a while. I've known him a while. I see a difference in him. I know there's a lot of hubris that he's got. He's a New Yorker. You know, he loves he loves Twitter. We all know that. Yeah. But it just seems that this coronavirus situation has seemed to, I, I don't know the word, but have you detected a difference in him? He's always had a seriousness to him, obviously, but, but this seems like he's... I don't even want to use the word humbled him a little bit, but it, it, he, he seems like, wow, this is a huge deal. And it's kind of even brought Donald Trump to a point of, you know what, let's calm some of the Twitter stuff and let's um, let's figure this out. I don't know. There seems to be a little bit of a difference.
4: I agree with you. I think it's uh, tempered him. That would be the word I would use.
3: That's that's a good word. That's a good word.
4: It's tempered him in the sense that he now is careful, recognizing that when he says something like we're going to have all these test kits, that people will take him literally as if they're all going to be there tomorrow. And if they're not, right. they're going to blame him. So he, he's much more careful about making promises. Keep in mind, this is a president who loves uh, hyperbole. I mean, it, that's not, uh, not about him being dishonest, but nothing is ever, this is pretty good. It's either the best it's ever been or the worst it's ever been. Right. Everything in his vocabulary, as you well know, because you know him well, is hyperbolic and this is going to be the greatest day we've ever had, or this is the worst crisis America's ever faced. Um, That's how he tends to communicate, and that's just a characteristic. It's just who he is. I think what we're seeing more and more is a tempered and uh, toned-down Donald Trump in that he recognizes how overwhelming this is, but he has uh, sought to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Look who he has surrounded himself with. He didn't surround himself with just political uh, hacks and consultants. Uh, people, I think, forget that when Obama faced the H1N1, you know, he put in charge Ron Quayne, a political operative. Mm-hmm. Who did the president put in charge? A team of, well, you, you could say Pence, but Pence was a governor. He managed crises. But the team is Fauci, uh, Deborah Burks, It's the Surgeon General. It's the top doctors at NIH and CDC and the FDA. He has Mm -hmm. surrounded himself with the top professionals, and that's what we would want him to do. He's taking their advice, but ultimately he knows the decision rests with him, and he's making those decisions.
3: Well, Governor, I really appreciate your time. Uh, You've been very generous to to give it to me and to to all of us here on The Pod's Honest Truth. I will say this. As I checked your Twitter feed, I noticed that – Janet clearly is into Hallmark Christmas movies, so I can, <laughs> I can only hope that the rest of your weeks go well and you watch every single one, or maybe you don't want to watch every single one.
4: No, I've, I've walked through the room for weeks on end during uh, November, December, and even into January when they never stopped playing on the television <laughs> as she was watching them incessantly, and I refuse to watch another. Um, it's not, I love God, I love Christmas but I can't handle another Christmas movie from the Hallmark Channel ever again.
3: (laughs)
1: Governor Mike Huckabee, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Dave.
1: That is Mike Huckabee on the Pod's Honest Truth. Hey, look, before we leave you here on the podcast, uh, a very serious story as it relates to the coronavirus. There is a county in Arkansas, Mike Huckabee would know it well, Uh, Cleburne County. Population about 25,000 or so, but I don't know if you've heard. Uh, It's really kind of a sad story. It is exactly what a church should not do uh, during the coronavirus. So obviously a lot of churches across the country um, have shut down and suspended services, but uh, there was one church in Cleburne County, Greer's Ferry First Assembly, that decided not to do that in early march when the warnings started to come in they still had activities on the calendar so instead of heeding the warnings from federal officials what they went ahead and did is they they decided to meet and they hosted a special children's ministry event and today 34 people in the church have tested positive for the coronavirus and to give you an idea on that there are 80 people total in the church that's almost half the church has coronavirus down there, at uh, down there in Cleburne, uh, Cleburne County. Uh, it, it really is. It's too bad. As a matter of fact, the pastor down there and his wife were also infected, and they posted on Facebook, uh, basically saying, "Look, we underestimated this, so please take it very seriously." And uh, you know, look, it, it's a it's a story uh, for you to process and understand. To say, look, we're not playing games here, right? I mean, th- this is not a bunch of ridiculous um, hyperbole and all of that. Bottom line is you've got to be smart. You've got to be safe. Uh, God gave us a brain. Let's use it and make sure that you do the smart right thing. You can go online. There are other ways uh, to attend church, if you will. As a matter of fact, um, the Family Research Council and many other Um, organizations, pro-family organizations across the country are giving pastors ideas on how church can meet during these times. For example, there's now like these drive-in worship services that they're trying to create. So basically, you come to church, kind of like a drive-in theater, right? You sit in your car, you have a local transmitter uh, that the pastors will set up. and, And yeah, I know, a pastor trying to set up a local transmitter. I get it. Uh, but the, there's been resources here where the pastors have been told where you can borrow a local transmitter, and those folks will set it up for you, and then you can have service kind of in your car like a drive-in theater. Anyhow, uh, also don't forget live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. You can do it there. You can meet in small groups. Look, as I said, let's be smart. God gave us a brain. Let's use it. Now, of course, on this podcast, you know, I try to use my brain. I'm thinking I'm at a 55% success rate. Other times it's 45%. I I rarely get past the 80% mark on my brain, but I'm giving it a shot. I'm giving it my best shot. Look, this is the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. We're part of justthenews.com where we just give you the facts. We don't try to spin you. We say, look, here's the deal. You can figure it out because guess what? That's right. You have a brain as well. So justthenews.com. You can download my podcast there. You can go to iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. And also don't forget John Solomon's podcast is there. It's called John Solomon Reports. Cheryl Atkinson's podcast is there. I'd love to get my mom a podcast. I mean, she's just sitting at home. She's like 80 years old. I mean, what else does she have to do? She could start a podcast. Uh, I'll talk to the powers that be uh, at uh, Just the News about that. You know, that's what we should do. We should have a campaign to get my mother a podcast. She's a Jewish mother from New York. Could you imagine the podcast and the possibilities on that one? Until next time, everybody. David Brody for The Pod's Honest Truth.